Hey, I don't know, um, I don't know if you fully grasp what was on the video. I don't know if you fully understand what God allowed to take place here. I don't know if you realize this, but there's a lot of other churches that are on the south end of the county. But God picked us to be a part of what he did. God picked Chestnut Mountain to house eight other churches. And I truly believe that the reason that God allowed us to be a part of that is because we don't care about the name of Chestnut Mountain Church. And so I don't think we fully understand that, that this was the place, this was the campus where a number of students stepped from darkness to light, from death to life. And the reason that I don't think we fully comprehend it is because the way we're looking at it. People hear me when I say this. Lives were forever changed this weekend because of United Weekend and because of your obedience. Because of you giving is why we were given the opportunity to come alongside what God is doing. And I know that even, I love it when, when Jared gets up and he kind of punched us all in the mouth this morning and he basically told us that this ain't worship. And I wish I could say that we're about to soften things up, but 1 Peter chapter four, I'm just gonna apologize in advance. You might as well go ahead and get your boxing gloves out because he's about to punch us all right in the mouth. So if you came here this morning to leave feeling great about yourself and to, to float out of here having all these goosebumps, sorry, but I am thankful that the word of God sometimes punches us right in the mouth because I need punched right in the mouth. And that's exactly what 1 Peter chapter 4 did to me. And I, don't, I know that, that we've been doing the SERP journal. We've been reading it through it together. But what's cool is God does show other people different things in his word. But I'm just going to share with you what he has shown me. And I got punched in the mouth. I call this the Mike Tyson chapter. It's kind of, I don't know if you, many of you may not even remember Mike Tyson, but he's arguably the, the, the greatest boxer that's ever walked the face of the planet. I think he recorded 44 knockouts. But here's the interesting thing about Mike Tyson. Out of those 44 knockouts, eight of those came in less than a minute because he always just came out swinging. I remember as a high school kid, that was kind of when Mike Tyson was really peaking and in my early college, we would all get together kind of like they do with the UFC now. We would get a bunch of friends and we would all throw in about $3 and pay-per-view. Remember, we get to watch pay-per-view. So we would all gather around the TV. And I remember there would be probably 40 of us sitting around one little 27 box TV that you have, pretty much had to have binoculars to see anyway. But I remember we were so excited and so much anticipation had built up to this fight. And all of a sudden, we're just so ready. We're so excited. And a lot of times with Mike Tyson, in 35 seconds, it was over. And I'm like, seriously? I just wasted $3 to watch this dude knock somebody out in 35 seconds, that's terrible. Well, that was very closely, very closely resembled my Monday morning of this week. You know, I, see, I got up Monday morning all excited to jump into 1 Peter chapter four, got my Bible, got my coffee, turned the fireplace on. I may or may not have put on reading glasses, but that's, we're not gonna talk about that one. 
And then all of a sudden, you know, you just get those warm fuzzies, everything's so cozy. And then 1 Peter chapter four, the first three verses. I was like, dude, Peter, you just came out swinging. And at that moment, I thought, you know what? There's gotta be some little motivational devotional book that I can read instead of this. Or I'll tell you what, I'll flip to Psalms. You know, we can always praise and think about those kind of things. But I hope that when you jumped into 1 Peter chapter four that you didn't throw in the towel because what we find is what Peter was doing for, for these new believers, these Jewish converts, was he was preparing them to follow Jesus and to serve Jesus. But we can now parallel that and see the heart of Peter that that's exactly what he's preparing us to do. He's preparing us on a way that we can better follow Christ and to better serve Christ. And I know by the end of the week, I was thankful that I stayed in chapter four and that I didn't quit, that I didn't throw in the towel because there's three elements that I, I truly believe that, that God revealed to me that I'm hoping that I can communicate with you today that, that I took from chapter four. And those three elements are, and you ready for this? The first one, you're gonna go, oh, great, here we go. The first element that I truly believe that Peter's addressing with these believers and what we're gonna address this morning, the first element is stop sinning. It's that simple. So we're gonna look this morning at stop sinning, stay together, and stay the course. Stop sinning, stay together, and stay the course. Now, I know a lot of you are going, okay, maybe he won't spend a whole lot of time on that stop sinning part, and then we'll just jump into that motivational thing of stay together and stay the course. I can buy into that. But again, I'll go ahead and apologize because we're going to be on this whole idea of stop sinning for like 98% of the morning. So if you need to go to the bathroom now, just go ahead and go back and I'll understand if you don't come back. But look, this is what God has been dealing with me all week. It's not that I'm up here gonna beat you over the head with the Bible, but I'm gonna beat you up with Peter's word because it beat me up all week. It beat me up all week. But stop sinning, stay together, and stay the course. So 1 Peter chapter four, aren't y'all excited? Verses one and two. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. And when that, some of your versions of the Bible may read differently there with the word purpose, but what he's telling you to arm yourself with is purpose, but also it means a different way of thinking, the right mindset, and the right thoughts. And so if you wanna plug that in, it says arm yourself also with the same mindset, with the same way of thinking, with the same motivations because he who suffered in the flesh has seized from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And so he starts out by preparing us on how to better serve and to better live out our life following Christ. And he's saying, look, as a result of your obedience, as a, as a result of your surrender to Christ, go ahead and get ready because you're gonna be treated just like he was. You're gonna be treated just like Christ. You're gonna be persecuted. You're gonna be humiliated. And you're gonna be rejected by some of the very people that you love. You're gonna be rejected by some of the very people you love. And as we've been talking up to this point, if you remember in chapter two, 
You remember that we've got a lost world watching. We've got a lost world watching how we're going to respond to the persecution, to the rejection, to the struggles of life. How are we going to respond? And if you remember earlier, Peter challenged us, when you respond, make sure that you don't go back to your old ways. Make sure that you don't run back to the sins of the flesh. Don't go back to the very things that you did before Christ saved you. But then I love how Peter, he just tells us, he says, here's how you do it. You're going to arm yourself. Arm yourself. And that is the same slogan or the, the same phrase that, that would resemble that of an of a, of a official in the army telling a or soldier how to prepare for war how to prepare for battle. And the way he's telling as a follower of Christ, the way that you're gonna prepare for battle, the way that you're gonna prepare for war is you've gotta go ahead and arm your mind with the right thoughts, with the right mindset, and understand that following Christ is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But you see, all Peter's trying to do is give us the right equipment. I remember in high school, I think I was a freshman and, and I was at football practice one day and I remember um, practice was pretty intense and, and I began to watch these two guys begin to push and shove each other. It was a running back and a linebacker. After the play was over, they jumped up and they started running their mouth. They started popping off at each other and, and you could just tell it was beginning to escalate very quickly. And then all of a sudden I watched one of the guys, he, he ripped his helmet off, threw it on the ground and they went at it. They started punching, they started swinging, they started rolling on the ground. And all of a sudden the coaches, you know how football coaches do, they sort of stood back for just a minute and said, look at this, these dudes are killing each other. And then they slowly moseyed over there. Then they broke the fight up. And what I watched was one of the coaches, he began to turn right to the face of the young man that had just ripped his helmet off and was chewing him out. And I was sitting there going, coach, I don't know if you watched what happened, but that's not the dude who started it. The other guy started it. Why aren't you jumping on him? And the more I listened and the more I watched, what our football coach was chewing him out for was not the fact that he got in a fight, not the fact that he got in an argument, but he was mad because he had taken his helmet off. He basically said, you idiot, if you're going to fight, leave your helmet on. That was the dumbest thing you've ever could have done. And that's exactly what Peter's telling us here. He said, look, if you plan on fighting, you've got to make sure that you're wearing the right equipment. You've got to make sure that your thought is right. You've got to make sure that your mindset is going to be right. Make sure that you're arming yourself with the right thoughts and the right purpose. And I think we can all agree over the last three or four weeks, we love you enough to warn you of that. I don't want to get up here on a Sunday morning and, and try to sell you the fact that once you surrender your life to Jesus, that it's all smooth sailing that things get easier. I love you enough to tell you it's going to be hard. Because when things do get hard, I don't ever wanna be the one that you can say, well, you know what? My pastor never told me that following Christ is gonna be difficult. He told me that if I gave my life to Christ that everything was gonna get easier, that things were gonna get smoother. But I think if we can prepare our minds in the right mindset to know that we're going to go under attack, to know that it's going to be difficult, this is what is going to motivate us to stay the course, that we're prepared for battle, that we're wearing the right equipment. So when we choose to follow Christ, the battle has begun. 
In that moment of your surrender, that moment you giving your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, you realize your life is divided into two segments at that moment. Your life is divided into two segments of that moment. See, the previous nature, you were ruled by human flesh. You bought into all of the lust of the flesh. You bought into all the desires of your flesh. But in the moment of your surrender, you stepped from darkness to light. You stepped from death to life. But along with that, also what begins to happen is now no longer are we ruled by our flesh, but now we are ruled by the Holy Spirit of a living God. The Holy Spirit of a living God comes and lives within us and now this is what is driving our passions. This is what is driving our hearts. Does that mean that all of a sudden those battles of the flesh are over? No, but it means now that there is a new nature living in you and we're gonna talk about that later. But with that in mind, understanding that your life as a follower of Christ went from you being bound and led by the, by the spirit of the flesh and the spirit of your desires, and all of a sudden you stepped over and now you're being led by the spirit of God, something supernatural that I can't even describe, that I can't even explain. With that in mind, I want you to look at verse three and look how aggressive Peter gets. I would even say that this is like a right or a left jab, but this is absolutely an uppercut. He comes right out of the blocks and he says in verse three this, for the time has already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. You see, you remember the Jewish people were the ones chosen by God and these were the people now who had, had stepped from death to life because they were trusting in the faith of Jesus Christ. The Messiah had come, so they've been saved. So then you have the Gentiles who are the lost. The Gentiles don't know God and the way they lived proved they didn't know God. But the problem is, is what Peter is talking about is he saying up to this point, you're living the very same lifestyle that the lost people live. You're living and doing the very same thing that a lost world does. The problem is church is this, is for some reason, we get offended when people come into church and we see them out in public and they're asking, acting like lost people. How in the world do we think if lost people are acting like lost people, guess what? It's because they're lost. We can't expect lost people to act like saved people, but the one thing that we can begin to expect is begin to save, to watching saved people stop acting like lost people. We've got a newfound faith in Christ, and this is what is driving us now. But where it gets all cloudy is the world is watching. They're watching you leave here on Sunday mornings. They're watching what you post on social media about being at church on Sunday. But then they're also watching how you live when you're outside the church on Sunday. And the problem is, is there's a lot of cases where what they're exercising and hearing on Sunday is not what we're living throughout the week. We're living like lost people. And what Peter is saying here, he's saying, look, the time has already passed. The time is already sufficient and enough. You have carried out the desires of your flesh long enough. And basically Peter says, look, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And it's time the church starts acting like the church. It's time saved people start acting like saved people. 
And we've got to quit confusing people. We've got to quit making them see two different worlds and we've got to begin living out our faith. And so then in the rest of verse three, he gets very specific. He begins to talk about some of the very sins and some of the very characteristics of the Gentiles, but he's also explaining, look, you are chosen by God. You are the select ones. You are them. So why in the world aren't you living any different than the lost? Because here's the truth. Jesus Christ came to save all. He came to save the Gentiles. But here's the thing is he's going to use the Jewish converts. He's going to use these Jewish believers now to be a witness to the Gentiles. Now to bring them to the saving knowledge of who God is. And he's saying, look, I want to use you. And you've got to quit sowing to confusion because you're living like the Gentiles and here's how the Gentiles were living. So therefore, we know this is how also these new believers were still living. The rest of verse three says, having pursued a course of sensuality, of lust, of drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. So he's saying, hey, here is a specific list. Here's what I've seen you deal with. Here's what I've seen you struggle with. And this is the stuff that has to stop. This is the stuff that we've got to stop. And some of those words you may not understand, so we'll just make it simple of it. Sensuality is the pursuit of sexual sin. Any kind of evil life dealing with, with, with sex. Lust, the desire for what is forbidden. I know that's kind of a strong term and we're gonna talk about the new nature in just a minute and better understand what it means that he's talking about that this, these acts are forbidden. Then he goes into the next three, they're all kind of lumped together. And we see here drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties. All of those are centered around the idea of alcohol. And if I think if you can go back, I don't know how many couple of months ago when we talked about the book of Habakkuk and we walked through that and we remember that Habakkuk was talking about his job was to warn his people of the danger of alcohol. And so that's exactly what he's saying. He's saying, look, I've got to warn you of this. I've got to warn you against the dangers of alcohol. So that's why we're talking about drunkenness, carousing and drinking parties. But here's what's interesting. The reason that Peter wants us to understand that there's danger that comes along with alcohol is because remember what he's just told us in verse one. He says, prepare your minds. Arm yourself with the right way of thinking. But the problem is, is alcohol, Peter knew that it inhibited their ability to arm themselves with the right way of thinking. Because if you remember back in the book of Habakkuk, when all the kingdoms would fall, they were all intoxicated because they weren't thinking properly. They weren't thinking clearly. And so therefore, Peter's saying, look, there's danger in it. When you're consuming it, when you're, when you're bought into it, when, it's a, when you're a slave to it, you will not have the ability to think clearly because it inhibits your ability to arm yourself with the right thoughts. So be careful. There's danger in it. But then he addresses abominable idolatries, which basically that's breaking the law. Breaking the law of the land. But the reason that Peter is harping on these specific ones 
is simply because he knew what, they were, what their tendencies were. He knew what they had struggled with in the past and he's saying, look, I know you struggled with this, but you've got to prepare your minds because when you're persecuted, when you're rejected by the very people you love, your flesh is going to want to run right back to where you used to find your temporary pleasure where you used to find your temporary satisfaction. And so therefore I'm telling you to prepare your minds and your thoughts and understand that when you fall under attack, instead of running back to those things, let's run to God instead. Because you do know that that's why the trials and the struggles of life come. It's not because God is punishing us. It's not because God is chastising us, but God is wanting to use that in order to make you draw closer to him. That's how much he desires and loves you is because he wants you in relationship and communion with him. And that is why a lot of times that we walk through the battle and the struggle of life is simply because God wants us closer. God wants us closer. And maybe today it's your first Sunday here and you go, oh, well, check this one off. I'm coming back to this one. Because all that guy does is talk about legalism and all this stuff I can and can't do. And this is, look, I'm sharing with you what the word of God says. This is my job. If I sugarcoat things, then I will stand accountable to that. And so for that, I don't apologize. For that, I don't apologize. Church, we've got to get back to where we're standing on the truth of God's word and doing it in boldness. We've got to be preaching what the Bible says. And man, I wish you'd have been here Friday night to hear what Grant shared. He had a grocery cart up here and he had a bunch of groceries over here on the shelf. And he said, the problem is, is what we do as the church now is we've got our shopping cart and we walk over here and we pick and choose what parts of God that we want. Because we want to make God the easy way out. We want to make God something comfortable. We want to make God just something that we can manipulate and that we can create a God that we want that doesn't stretch us, that doesn't ask us to stop doing things. But here's the truth, guys. God has set parameters. God has law. God has commandments. Not because he's mad at you, but because he loves you. He wants to protect you. He wants to keep you from disaster. And that is why we talk about these things. So it's not legalism. It's not a bunch of rules to follow. It's not this thing that we can and we can't do. But the, but the reality is at salvation, when you surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, you took on a new nature. You took on a new nature. Not to jump ahead and you don't have to turn there, but in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, Listen to what Peter says here. For by grace, he has granted to his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. This is talking about the new nature that we now take on as believers. He's talking to these Jews here. He says, look, you're no longer held to the bondage of the law. But now you've taken on a new nature. Now you are saved by the grace of God, but the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So understand that here's legalism versus a new nature. The list that Peter has just shared isn't a list of things that you can't do, but it's a list of the things of the new nature living in you despises because it doesn't bring God glory. 
So they're not rules that you have to follow, but what it is is it's now that a new nature living in you, which is the spirit of holiness, of righteousness, of an almighty God, and it's not that it's rules that we can't follow, but it's a new nature living in you, and those are the very thing that he despises. He despises sin. You know why God despises sin the most? Very simple. This is not a very theological thought. He despises sin, because it killed his son. He despises sin because it killed his son. You do realize that sin is the murder weapon of Jesus. You do realize that list of things we just talked about, the sin that were just listed out, those are the murder weapons that killed the precious lamb of God. I don't know about you, but if I'm a family member and if I had a family member that had been murdered, the last thing I want to do is see the weapon that did it. But church, you realize that when we play with sin, when we're not living a life surrendered to the new nature living in us, we're living and messing with the very weapons that murdered the Lamb of God. Yeah. Got punched right in the face. But you know, I I was amazed um, Friday night. It's always... I I really wish we could let you hear every message that was preached on Friday, Saturday morning, and Saturday night. Because in a nutshell, it's everything we're talking about this morning. And you say, well, Brian, I know. You're trying to act all spiritual. Y'all sent out an email and told them what they needed to talk about. No, we didn't. When the Spirit of God is driving the boat, the Spirit of God is doing what only the Spirit of God can heard a preacher say one time, he said, you know what? When we're all drinking from the same well, all the water tastes the same. And so it's no accident. Every topic that we're talking about right now got addressed throughout this weekend with 350 something people in this room. And even the story that was shared on Friday night from a passage of scripture, I was sitting back there in the back going, oh great, everybody's gonna think that I'm just repeating his message. I, had, I pushed print on Tuesday. This sucker was already printed out and highlighted. But the best example that I can ever think of that God really showed me this week was a story that we're, a lot of us are very familiar with in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You know, just for for. Um, just for the sake of time, we're not going to read the story. I'm just going to kind of give you a nutshell of, of what it's about. There was two sons and the youngest son went to his father and he said, look, dad, I know, basically, I know we're wealthy and I know when you're gone that I'm going to get to inherit a lot of things. But dad, go ahead and give me the inheritance now. So the dad being a loving father, he gave his son his inheritance And so something that God showed me that I've never seen before in that passage is in the moment of the father handing over the inheritance to the son, what's interesting is this represents this son taking on the the idea of a new nature. Because now the son is as wealthy as the father. He's taken on the very thing that was his dad's. So he's been given a new nature. 
He's been given a new life. He's been given now a life of wealth. And we all know what the son did is how he responded is he, the Bible said that he took the inheritance of his father and he ran away from home. And the Bible says that he lost it all due to loose living. And what's interesting is when you begin to look at what loose living was all about, it was all the very things that Peter just warned us of. Those are what caused him to lose everything. But then we know that the story, the son gets to a place where he's lost everything and he, he finds himself in basically a hog parlor. And I just envision this guy wallowing around in the mud with nothing left. And the Bible says that he desired what the pigs ate. But the problem was, is because of where his life had taken him, he was absolutely miserable. He was absolutely miserable in the mud. He was absolutely miserable in the hog parlor. Do you know why? He wasn't a pig. It's that simple. And church, the problem is, is we do exactly what this prodigal son has done. We take our salvation. We take the inheritance of what our father has given us. And instead of, of, of devoting our life as an appreciation to what Christ has given us and what Christ has done for us, we use our salvation as just a license to sin. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know that I've asked Jesus to save me. I know I've asked Jesus to forgive me. So therefore, I can go out and do everything that I want to do. I can just live the life that I want to live because God's always going to forgive me. And while, yes, that is true, you've got to remember there's a new nature living in you. And thank God that the new nature is what had opened this young man's eyes in the mud and said, look, this is not what you're created for. You're created to live a life with your father who loves you. So the new nature, the conviction that is now living in him is the very thing that took him out of the mud and drove him back to his father. But we don't like conviction. We don't like conviction. Oh, that makes me a little uncomfortable. Brian, I want to live my life now. This is my life. I want to do what I want to do. That's exactly what this son did. He left doing exactly what he wanted to do. And we see what it led to. It led to a life of misery because that's not what the son was created for. But the beautiful part of grace is if you know anything about the story when the son finally, when this new nature in him, because look, that new nature parallels the idea of he's got a new nature living in him because now he was, his new nature is a life of wealth. It's a life of wealth. It's a life of inheritance. But that new nature is what made him miserable because he knew that's not what he was created for. It made him uncomfortable. And because he was uncomfortable, because of this new nature making him miserable, he got up and he went back home. But how, what I love most about the story is it, it said that the father was standing on the front porch and saw him coming from a long way off. And so what that lets me know is that the father was standing on the front porch looking for the son to come home. And we know that when the son arrived back home, that as soon as the son got into the presence of his father, 
He took off his belt and he spanked him. He grounded him for eight months. He took his cell phone away from him. No, that's not what he did. The Bible says that the father fell at the son's feet and threw a party because the son had come home. The sin was cast as far as the east is from the west because of his inheritance that his father had given him. Because he was a child of the father. You know, I remember used to in high school hearing my youth pastor pray, and I've, and I've shared this before, but Lowell Whitmire, when he would pray that people would be miserable, that people would be miserable in their sin, believers or non-believers. But I remember I sat there and listened to that young, to him pray, and I was 14, 15 years old. I'm going, that's the meanest dude I ever heard in my life. He's praying they don't sleep. He's praying that they lose everything. But what I realize now, even according to this passage, there is no more loving prayer than someone could pray for someone. So guess what? I'm praying God makes you miserable. Not because I'm mad at you, but because I want you to run back to the Father. Because I want you to run back to the Father. You know, I know maybe you're here this morning and Maybe this is the first time that you've ever felt miserable because of sin or, or miserable because of a life that you're living. I can't express to you how thankful you need to be for that misery, for that conviction, because that's the spirit of God drawing you to himself. And church, all I can do is beg you to surrender to that drawing. Don't ignore it. Don't say, well, you know, church is almost over. So as soon as he shuts up, all this weird feeling I'm feeling right now will go away. Because guess what? You're gonna have a room full of people that pray and it don't. But maybe you're here this morning and this is probably the biggest burden that I've got for today is for us as believers, Have we gotten to a place where we're comfortable with what used to hurt? Have we gotten to a place where we're comfortable to something that used to make us uncomfortable? There was a story that I read this week and it was two men had gone out to eat and they walked into a, a very dark room and that one of them made the joke. He said, man, it's so dark in here. I'm not gonna be able to look at the menu. It's so dark in here. I need a mining cap to even figure out where I'm going. So they sit down at their table and they begin, they probably have a 15 minute conversation and then it comes time for them to order. And so they pick up their menus and the guy that was talking about how dark it was, he makes the statement and he said, holy cow, I can read my menu now. There's no more lights turned on. Things aren't any brighter. How in the world can I read my menu now? And the next guy looked at him and he said, it doesn't take long to become accustomed to darkness. Church, how oftentimes have we become accustomed to darkness? How many times have we come, become accustomed to sin again? You know, it's like working out, something that I despise. And the reason I despise it is always when you get started because it hurts. And I know like on your hands, you'll, 
You'll go home and sometimes you'll have cracked open hands, you'll have blood, you'll have nastiness on your hands, but you have to keep going back. You have to keep going back because what ends up happening is your hands become calloused and they finally get to a place where they don't hurt anymore. You understand that's exactly how the enemy uses sin in our life. Because of this new nature, what we end up doing oftentimes is when we go back to our old ways, which is what Peter's warned us of, when we're sitting here going back, when, str when struggles come, when trials come, our safety net is the things that we used to use to cope with things. And when we head that direction, we know that there's something that's making us uncomfortable. And so when our brother or sister in Christ calls us out, we end up arguing about it. We end up justifying it. We end up taking scripture out of context. So it just makes us feel a little bit better about ourselves. But then what we continue doing is heading down that direction. And once we get back in it, we get back to that place where it doesn't hurt anymore. And church, be thankful to God that the conviction, the new nature living in you is the reason that he's convicting you. The reason that you find yourself having to justify it is because the spirit of God is drawing you to himself. And what I would beg us to do this morning as a church is to stop running from conviction and run back to the daddy who's standing on the front porch with his arms wide open and thank him that the new nature living in us is what has drove us back. Because you know, there's so many times that we can say, you know what, I'm saved. I can keep doing this or I can keep doing that, but here's the truth of sin that the enemy doesn't want you to hear. And you've heard this before, but sin takes you further than you wanna go. It keeps you longer than you wanna stay and it makes you pay more than you were ever willing to pay. But the new nature living in you, the spirit of God, the reason you feel uncomfortable is because he loves you enough to open our eyes, to run back to him when we find ourselves in the mud. I told you it was gonna be 98% about this because we're almost done. But all this is part of Peter preparing our minds. And when we face the trials, when we face the struggles, we've got to run to a God who loves us and not away. But there's one more thing that he wants us to see that we should be prepared for. Verse four, in all this, what he means in all of this is when we choose to stop sinning, when we choose to surrender to the new nature living in us, when we choose to surrender to what God is tugging on our hearts and telling us to do, in all this, they are surprised that you don't turn, that you don't run with them into the same excess of dissipation and they malign you. What Peter's wanting you to understand here is that when we're pursuing Christ, there's gonna be people who turn their back on us, that they can't believe that we're no longer doing the things that we used to do, that we're no longer living the lifestyle that we used to live. 
And when he says they malign you, it, it, it means that they will heap abuse at you. And what's so encouraging is last night in a room full of teenagers, this was basically being addressed that people are gonna turn their back on you. And then he gave them a, an opportunity to follow Christ. But I love how he did it. In a room packed shoulder to shoulder, he said, if you've chose to follow Christ and you've asked Jesus Christ to save you tonight, I want you to stand up. Now there's no doubt that some of the ones that they were sitting besides were probably some of the ones that they were living in sin with them the day before or the week before or before D now are united. Dad coming, I messed it up. But you know, for about three minutes, it was really, really awkward because Grant stood and nobody moved. I was like, boy, this isn't as powerful as I thought it was gonna be. But I love how he was sensitive to what the spirit of God was leading him to do. And then all of a sudden, one young lady stood up right in the middle, all by herself, all by herself. And because of her boldness, two stand up over here. One stands up over here. Two stand up down here. Because of one little girl who said, you know what? If they malign me, if they turn their back on me, I don't care because my savior's worth it. And then to make it even more awkward, he said, okay, if you're standing up, I want you to come stand with me down front. But church, they did. And that is where we end up in the, in verses seven through 11, I'm not gonna read it, but I'm hoping you've read it this week. This is where Peter's challenging the believers that they've got to stay together. And he does, he addresses several things. He talks about them praying together. He's telling us that us as believers, that we've got to love each other in spite of each other's sin. We've got to encourage each other to use our gifts that God has given us. And then he says that we've got to stay strong together. And then verses 12 through 19, we see that the results of us staying together is what gave them the ability to stay the course. So church, God is calling us, Peter is sharing with us in this is, we got to stop sinning. We got to stay together and we've got to stay the course. So here's how we're gonna respond this morning. Maybe you're a believer here. Maybe you've surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. And maybe some of the things that we've talked about, maybe you may be that person that's sitting there going, ha, he didn't list what I struggle with. So I ain't gonna worry about it. But you see, the fact that you're thinking about that very sin is the new nature living in you and it's the spirit of God exposing that to you. Be thankful for that. Be thankful for that. 
And so maybe you're as a believer here this morning and you're uncomfortable with some things in your life. You're uncomfortable with maybe some of your living. And I'll just tell you, Monday morning, (laughs) I realized I was probably more uncomfortable with the way I am living than comfortable with the way I'm not living. I think I just said that backwards. Y'all know what I'm saying, don't you? You got it. But the Spirit of God revealed to me a lot of areas in my life that I'm uncomfortable in. A lot of things that I struggle with. Can I tell you this morning, if you're a believer and you're uncomfortable, there's a reason that you're uncomfortable and it's because you're not a pig. God didn't create you for the mud. God created you to have a relationship with him. So if that's you and you're uncomfortable this morning, maybe it's you go ahead and stand up now and come to an altar. And maybe it's, will I be bold enough to do that? God's revealed it to me so clearly, but I know I'm uncomfortable in my sin and I've got to repent. Let me encourage you today, daddy's standing on the front porch with his arms wide open, waiting for you to come on. Or maybe you're that believer here this morning that quite frankly, you're not miserable anymore. You've become accustomed to the darkness. I love you enough to tell you to be careful. Be careful and maybe you need to be in this altar this morning praying, God, make it hurt again. God, make it hurt again. And lastly, maybe you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your heart and your life to Jesus Christ and you're miserable right now because your heart's beating out of your chest and you're going, okay, this is me. I've been running from this long enough and today's the day that I surrender. Today's the day that I throw in the towel. Church, I would love it if this room of adults would get as bold as a bunch of teenagers did last night. I wish we would have the boldness of a little, I don't know, 13 year old girl to stand up and say, you know what? My God is more. Because by her standing up, you know what she was saying? Thank God for conviction. Thank God that the Holy Spirit is drawing me to himself. So this morning, I don't know what, how you need to respond. I know how I had to respond is I had to ask God to forgive me. And there are some things in my life that I had to ask God, make it hurt again. Make it hurt again. So this morning, I would just ask you to examine your heart and understand if the Spirit of God is leading you, if the Spirit of God is drawing you, please stop running. Please stop running. Let's stand to our feet this morning and let's respond to to what God has spoken.